Well, hello again, friends. Welcome to the Make 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 podcast episode. Well, good afternoon, everybody. This is episode five of the Make 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 podcast. Uh, Today we have with us Rob Morton of The Flying Hun. Uh, Rob, if you could introduce yourself a little bit. Yeah. uh, Hey, everybody. Uh, I I am Rob Morton, uh, the owner, operator of uh, Flying Hun Archery and Leather. We're a leather crafting business that specializes in uh, Eastern style, Eurasian, Mongolian, Turkic style leather gear. We sell bows, arrows, do uh, clinics, teaching, basically um, just a kind of a do all for for uh, Eastern archery here in the States. One of the very few, actually. Okay. And uh, how how can people find you if they're if after listening to all this they're very excited about what you do? How can they find what you do? Well, thanks to Jennifer, mostly Instagram, Facebook. Uh, just started up a YouTube channel not long ago with some informational videos on some of the weirder things we run into as far as uh, bows, crossbows, um, a lot of the technology we we play around with that uh, most Americans probably have never seen before. But primarily, it's Facebook and Instagram. I try to update that at least every day or so. And what would that address be? Uh, so it's www.theflyinghun.com for our website. Okay. Uh, we also have a web store. You can purchase pretty much anything you see in the videos there. Uh, Instagram, I think, is uh, the underscore flying underscore hun. And Facebook is just the flying hun, all one word. So let me ask you that. How did you, know, you come up with the, the, the name of the company, the flying hun, and kind of... Uh, piggyback on that what was how'd you get started in all this oh man that was that's a that's a fun one so when i first started off doing this i was going to sherwood forest fair as a patron and i found out after going for a couple years it's it's actually kind of a weird story the 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 gentleman the the i guess the whole thing was i got told no by one guy Hmm. and that's what started all of it um (laughs) Yeah, so one old guy told me no. I did it out of spite, and it just grew from there. <laughs> but no, I, I I had been going to Sherwood for a couple of years, and they uh, I found out they had had an archery tournament. So it wasn't just about you know dressing up in fun costumes and getting drunk like every other fair. You actually got to go and shoot and do stuff as a patron, which was just unknown to any other fair out there. So I had traveled a lot when I was younger and had brought back some eastern style bows from uh austria back in late 90s and so i decided to go ahead and build a build a costume or garb around that bow and um it it kind of spun off from there i started shooting in the competitions there and of course no one had seen anybody dressed like i was dressing i had to make everything because it just wasn't available here um so past that when I realized after a little while that this stuff was hard to get, and I'd done some leather work when I was younger, and of course, you know, you have that that realization moment of, oh, I can't find it, or oh, it's so expensive, so I'm going to go ahead and make everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then everybody, of course, lies to you and tells you how great it is, and now you think to yourself, I can turn this into a job. <laughs> it's great. Um, so that's what I did. Um, I started making quivers for people that had never seen this kind of stuff before, and um, it kind of spun out from there. And the, the really big turning point for the whole thing was um, I, I managed to get a spot on the Modern Rogue and uh, did a video with them. 
um, which really, you know, any if you're anywhere near Austin or Houston, I still get people. I mean, we did the video like three years ago, and I still get people that come up and you know they're like, "Hey, modern rogue guy." I'm like, "Yeah, it's me." You know? <laughs> um, it, it helped a lot. It really it really catapulted a lot of that to the forefront, and it really helped. the The bigger thing too is that it it helped out with archery a lot, and especially this kind of archery. Like it gave it a ton of FaceTime, which is amazing. Um, and it spun off into a whole lot of other directions. But the business-wise, it's, um, you know, we we basically have kind of settled into bows, arrows, uh, and, and I've had to learn how to make a lot of this stuff, too. So that's that's been the big part is anything we can't readily get here, I have to learn how to make it. So Where do you go to, re- I mean, how do you even research that sort of thing? Like, where what resources are you using to even find out? What There's those this are. thing. It's called the internet. Well, yeah, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, there's there's a lot of research networks for this kind of thing. If you go, you have to go sort of looking for them. Um, Atarn, A T A R N, is one of the biggest ones. It's a Asian traditional archery research network. It's run by a buddy of mine, Peter, and it's uh, it's pretty much everything archery and and culture related to this sort of stuff it's pretty amazing i i pull a lot of data from there it's it's researchers so it's people that are really heavily invested in the the learning about the cultures and the history uh and it's kind of a neat a neat thing and of course you know there's also interplay with like the sca which is the society for creative anachronism which you know you may have opinions on them but there are some people in there that are passionate about what they do and and it's they're occasionally helpful as well and some of my friends are in that group um but there's there's a lot of resources for it but not many of them are here in the states in fact most all the the really great resources are overseas yeah and that's who i've had to really tap into to to meet and try to get information from that's really neat yeah you bring up the sca um i have quite a few friends in sca i've actually been covering a jousting tournament that spun out from uh the sca here in austin for like 13 or 14 years now Uh, my wife rode horses um, my oldest son is named Colton, <laughs> uh, because oh. <laughs> yeah, she got, she got, when she was pregnant with him, um, she, uh, got thrown from the horse and broke her wrist in six places. So he's named Colt. Um, oh. <laughs> um, but she used to be in the same writing lesson with some people that were in the SCA and then we got invited out. They're like, Hey, you take pictures. Why don't you come take pictures of this crazy stuff? And at the time they were still doing foam core, uh, jousting. And then uh, they branched out, and I want to say that we've covered the biggest, like one of the biggest jousting tournaments held in the last century. Um, a few years ago, they had something like forty-two nights jousting. Wow. Yeah, it was it, it was pretty wild. Um, uh, and then a lightning storm came in, and that got really exciting. Um, <laughs> but but what's interesting about those guys? Yeah, you're talking about like the passionate researchers. My wife was going on a trip to New York, and one of our friends. Uh, was like, hey, you're going to be near, you know, this museum. I need pictures for this, you know, this one corner of this armor I'm making. Um, and so, you know, there was no place. There, it wasn't online. And so she literally had to go to, like, the museum to take pictures for my friend, or both of our friends, uh, because he was rebuilding this, you know, 15th century armor. And they had it on display for, like, a month at, you know, some museum in New York. Um, and uh, ju- that would be the Met, right? Yeah, <laughs> I am I, very, I am very, very, very familiar with the Met. They have a, they have a big collection of the stuff that I deal with too. So I, I've, uh, they just recently put everything online. By the way, since oh, did the they? pandemic hit, yeah, they have a. If, for anybody that's interested in it, 
the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York is is one of the largest arm arms and armor collections in the United States, probably in the world. Wow. Um, and I'd say maybe two or three months ago. So the collection's still being added, but it's it's pretty impressive now. And in fact, they do all you know high res photos and everything. So wow. it's 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 for people like me. It's like uh, yeah, that'll work. You know, <laughs> I guess <laughs> benefit to a contagion. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's side benefits, I guess, to all of this. But, right. Um, um, yeah, it's funny. We probably have a lot of the same friends of, in this area that we didn't even realize. Um, probably. Yeah. So how long have you been doing this then? How long has it been going? So archery, just in general, 30 years. Oh, wow. But, yeah. So the, biz- the business kind of spun out from that, I would say, seven or eight years ago. Okay. I um, you know, I started going back to Sherwood and getting back. I was in the fair scene probably in the late 90s and then gave it up for 10 or 15 years and and decided to pick it back up again. And uh, that, you know, when you start shooting again, you're like, "Oh, I got bows, I got arrows, I can go do that again." You know. Um, and but the business, yeah, I'd say 7 years ago is when I really decided I was going to start doing this professionally. And it, how long has it been your full-time? Uh, six years. Oh, wow. That's that one year must have been wild. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I was a corporate oil and gas recruiter before that. And so I started laying the, the, the groundwork for the business while I was still working and, uh, made that crazy decision just to, you know, go jump in both feet first and go buy a booth at a Renaissance festival. I don't know how much I had to drink before that, but I'm imagining it was a lot. What? Yeah, tell me about that jump. I was going to get to that because I know that, you know, you sell to a, a certain clientele, and I mean, you literally bought a booth at a rent fair to to sell to them. What mm-hmm. What went into that decision? Um. Well, I think the the nature of the kind of archery I do is very limited here in the States. You don't have a lot of people that are just going out to find Mongolian archery or Turkish archery. It's because we're a Western nation and, you know, we're, our archery is sort of dictated by Errol Flynn from, you know, Robin Hood back in the, you know, the thirties and forties. Um, and primarily too, because we're, we're mostly Western countries like England, Scotland, Ireland, France, Germany, uh, that was the predominantly the longbow. That was that was the cultures that used bows that were different. And you know the the I suppose the the biggest part of it is finding an audience big enough to support a business like that. You can't do it with just selling bows online. You can't do it with just uh, word of mouth. Uh, being able to put your business at a fair targets you to people whose mindsets are already there and open to the idea that what they're going to see is something different. So mm. you've already broached that sort of first hurdle of getting attention. Um, I don't think there's any any better way to have a have a group of people that, that are already, I would say, warmed up to a sales pitch. It's not like grabbing somebody off a street, you know, street corner and, you know, trying to do a sales pitch to them. You have people that are there to see medieval or renaissance things. So already they're they're already keyed into what you're what you're doing. You just have to push them a little further. Yeah. Now, since you have you know more you know foot traffic and all that, did it lead to more online sales as well? Like, did you see any relation between word of mouth traveling that way? Yeah, it did. Uh, initially, I didn't have a website for a couple of years, and um, 
I just I, I just finally decided that we needed more sales during the year. And uh, Jen actually, Jen's my social media guru, uh, Jennifer Larson, Mayhem's Muse. She's uh, she's pushed me a lot on the website, on the Instagram, Facebook. And it really wasn't until we really beefed that side of it up that uh, we started seeing much in the way results. But the interesting thing is, is what I was finding for the first couple of years is that people would wait <laughs> and save up. So you'd, you'd have a, you'd have one festival and then you'd have, you know, six or eight months until you're, till it comes back around or a year till it comes back around. And they would have saved up to say, you know, oh, what new things do you have? But, you know, and, and by adding the online store, you sort of, you sort of have that like, well, just let me know when something new comes in and, you know, you can sell it to me whenever, which, which worked out really well. I mean, I like it. It's kind of right now, the postal service is kind of a pain in the butt and all of my prices went up. So, <laughs> It's a little annoying, but right. Um, you know the 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 other big part was is when we got the second fair. So I'm both at Sherwood Forest Fair, which is March and April, and then I'm also at the Texas Renaissance Festival here in Houston, which is uh, October November. Um, and I have a lot of crossover business, so now customers can come find me at both of them, and it's kind of both stores are a little different. But yeah, the online, I, I would say the online sales is maybe of all my business, you know, the two festivals are just concentrated business. You know, you've got thousands of people that are walking right by your front door every day. Um, but I would say online sales is probably 20%, maybe oh. 30% of my business. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would say probably 20%, you know, 40% are my two, uh, each are my two fairs and then 20% of just people who heard they wanted a bow and they didn't have anybody else to buy from, or they, you know, want one specific thing and they know that I have it. Mm -hmm. So now it is, is it just you? I mean, I mean, I know Jen, but, um, as far as like producing everything as well as running the booth, I mean, is it, how, how does that work? That seems like a lot of time. <laughs> Um, well, I am a full-time crafter, so uh, just about every day I'm, I'm working in one of my two shops. Uh, I have a, I have a shop, a garage style shop for doing all the dirty work, you know, saws and sawdust and cutting things and doing thumb rings and grinding stuff. And I've got another shop that's just for leather. Um, so I, I spend time in both and yeah, as far as any of the things that are made in my shop, I'm the one that makes them. Wow. Uh, but I import a lot of stuff too. So there's a lot of a lot of bowyers overseas that make great bows and I bring in bows from Hungary, from Turkey, from Ukraine. Uh, I have some some bows made by a gentleman in Beijing. I've got all kinds of bows from all over the place. And and right now, you know, if I if I go into bow making at this point, I'm going to be stretched so thin, I'm not going to have any time for anything else, right? You know. Um, but as far as the booths are concerned, I have a I have a group of people that I end up working with and it's a mixture of people that are working for me, people that are pass for play, people that just enjoy being at the festival. Uh, so I've got a full crew of, I think I've got between, I can draw on from four to six people during a, during a run of a festival to sort of, you know, do sales, run the shop, do stuff when I'm not there. Or if I have to, you know, go do something else, they've got it covered. Yeah. So. What was, what was your biggest fear before opening the, the first booth at your fair? Like what, what was running through your mind? Oh, that I was a crazy person, that this was the dumbest idea I'd ever had. Um, I had bounced around a bunch of different ideas of things to do for business uh, before I did this. I, I love food. I had considered some kind of food business. I would considered some kind of, 
you know, a half a dozen different things that I had thought about. And finally, just the, the, the long-term connection I had to archery, uh, and specifically the long-term connection I had to history, really was the thing that pushed me, pushed me into doing it. Um, I kind of figured this was something I'd been interested in since I was a kid. And so I thought, you know, that's, that's the, that's the one. Hmm. Um, but yeah, fears are sort of a constant thing in this. I mean, you know, you're, you're, I deal with a bunch of savages and, you know, my people are all crazy and I love them. Uh, and my customers are, are, are an interesting mix of folks. And, you know, I, I've got some, I, <laughs> the running joke is I, I got a group of people that probably stab somebody if I wanted them to, you know, they're just, <laughs> they're just fervent devotees and I love all of them, you know? Um, but it, it, fear, I think in this business, because it is just me. I mean, if you know, like I've had shoulder surgery, I've had three shoulder surgeries in the past four years, which puts me out six, eight months, which means before I go into shoulder surgery, I break it some more to go make a bunch of stuff. So I got something to sell, wow. you know? Um, and you know, fear, I think just is a constant with this. And I think any small business is that way oh. personally. Oh yeah. I've been running my own small business for going on 12 years now. And you know, it's, it's a roller coaster. There's, yeah. there's months you're like, I'm king of the world. I'm good at this. I know what I'm doing. And then the rest of the months are like, why did I leave my well-paying corporate job? Why was I thinking that this was something that could work? When is my next client going to come? Um, and then trying to explain it to all your friends that are still working quote unquote normal jobs. Um, and, uh, it's just a totally different life. I think it takes some intestinal fortitude to do it. Um, and it takes a little bit of crazy, uh, but it sounds like you're doing some some good things um, in terms of right. You you have a niche. You're marketing to the niche, um, and you're you're listening to your customers. You're listening to their needs and delivering what they want. I mean, does that sound right? Well, it's not only delivering what they want. It's also showing them something that they may not have ever seen before. So mm. it's offering up a lot of things, a lot of new things that are I would consider unless you were fairly deep in the research of this type of, of history and archery, you would never run into anywhere else. You're just not going to find it. Hmm. So I, I always, you know, like the, the, the difference between say like the shop at TRF and the shop at Sherwood, the shop at TRF, I've got a range inside and I've always got some weird bow or some strange thing I brought with me. And so people just wander in and I'm just messing around with stuff and they're just like, I, I have to have one. Like, where, where did this come from? I'm like, ah, I have a solution for you. You know, um, <laughs> But a lot of it is self-taught, too. So I'm learning the whole time. Uh, and so by teaching other people and showing other people some of this stuff, I learn a lot from it, too. Um, and, and, oh, back to, your, back to your thing earlier about fear. The, I can tell you what the, the worst fear of the whole thing was. What's that? The, ver the very first day that uh, corporate job direct deposit didn't happen on my bank account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been there. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Definitely have been there. You know, yeah. I, I look at it, you know, I, I had a corporate job too and I realized what they were paying for was just taking a little bit of your soul every day. And yeah, I've after, after 12 years, I've almost gotten all the way back to what I was making then. Um, but I enjoyed it so much more along the way. You know, if I had, if I had gone on my deathbed, I, I can't imagine staying with something that didn't bring me joy, you know, 
on a week to week basis like that. Um, right. and time is short. Um, one of the, one of the things that I, when I first started my business, um, I got to stay home with my, my oldest son for two and a half years, uh, during the week. Um, and then on the weekend I did all my work on the weekends when my wife was home, she's a school teacher. And like, what would I trade for that? Like I, you could bring me all the, the, the riches in the world and I, I, I wouldn't trade that time back. Um, and so it's just really finding a way to that. Actually, this is the whole point of this podcast and, and of all the people that I interview, you know, why are you making art and how do you, how are you making a go of it? That's really what the question that I'm curious about. Um, and so I, I was fascinated by you. I, I didn't actually know how or when you had started. Um, and so it's, it's, it's so interesting to hear you're like, well, I had a corporate background, but I don't want to do that anymore. I want to go make, you know, Eastern bows and arrows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ride horses and, you know, shoot archery and be a madman overseas and do crazy stuff. And, you know, you know, basically uh, prowl around museums and, <laughs> you know, try to try to steal as many ideas overseas as I can and bring them back and that kind of thing. It sounds a little bit like Indiana Jones. Uh well, one of his quotes is one of my favorites. It's not the age, it's the mileage. Every time I have a shoulder surgery, I tell my orthopedic surgeon that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's um, one. You know, kind of tying into your your side of it, really the big thing that, that was the, the tipping point for me was I was drinking myself into an early grave. You know, you're, you're in that sales life where every day you're taking clients out, you're taking customers somewhere, that it just becomes sort of second nature that, you know, going to a bar or going and having drinks with somebody is constant. It's just just every day. Like, you can't get away from it. Right. And so it becomes your hobby. It becomes your, your, your after-hours activity to try to blow off some stress. It becomes just part of who you are after a little while. And, um, I, I saw that as just, if I had stayed in that side of the business, I was a, you know, being a high end recruiter and headhunter type, you know, it's just constant stress. Um, the, the running joke is it's, it's kind of like sales. If you were like selling cars or toasters, except your toasters or cars had divorces and marriages that were failing and, <laughs> you know, mistresses and didn't show up to work cause they were, you know, drugged out in a hotel somewhere and the police got called, you know, it's stuff like that. Just the, the, the unknowns of that part of the business were just insane. Wow. Uh, and all those stories actually happened, by the way, I, I, I did have to go to more than one hotel and talk somebody down after the police showed up. <laughs> wow. That may be a podcast episode for another day. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, but that was the kind of stuff you dealt with, with basically working the high end sales stuff and particularly recruiting. Yeah. I just didn't, after a while, I just, I just didn't enjoy it anymore. And I realized it was a, it was a path kind of like you say, it steals a part of your soul and just doesn't give it back. you got to yeah. go find it somewhere else. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, the third, so this, this podcast is called Make, Make, Make. So the first make is make art. Second make is make money. But the third part is, you know, making a difference. Um, and I know that the pandemic has kind of ruined a few things, but y'all started a basically an international archery festival. Yeah, that was that was one of our crazier ideas. Um, Talk to me about that. <sighs> So we went over to Kyrgyzstan two or three years ago, two years ago for the World Nomad Games. And that is sort of the Olympics for all things steps culture. So like uh, horseback riding, uh, <laughs> horseback wrestling is a thing. Um, there's all different kinds of nomad games, uh, mounted archery, ground archery, uh, Mongolian wrestling, 
Kukboru, which is a dead goat polo. And if you've never, <laughs> yeah. if you if you ever seen Rambo three, it's what he does in the beginning of the game or beginning of the movie. Um, so it was it was sort of this gigantic festival in Kyrgyzstan, and it was um, basically moving around from Kyrgyzstan, and then this year Turkey was supposed to host it because of the pandemic. I think everything kind of got derailed, and then Kazakhstan, and they were going to host it uh, for I think it was going to be. Uh, each nation was going to host it three times and it was going to move. But so we went there with the American team and shot and had a great time and met people from all over the world and realized that something like this didn't exist here in the States. Uh, there had been smaller little get togethers and groups and, and people had tried smaller versions of it, but they'd never really tried to meld that idea of, a competition so we're very interested in mounted archery so mounted archery was going to be the focus the next focus was ground archery so we were going to have a big ground archery competition and we actually used the same courses that the the world nomad games used um, and they were basically derived from the nations that had been participating so there was a, a turkish course uh, a kyrgyz course and uh, a korean course hmm. uh, so we we just emulated what they did and also with music and vendors and food and, you know, uh, basically something that, say, if you were a competitor from either overseas or somewhere here in the United States, you would either fly in or drive in and stay for four days and and be part of a, a festival. Um, the first one we, we held out at Sherwood Forest Fair. We basically took over their entire parking lot and turned it into a you know, giant festival <laughs> mounted archery track. Um it was uh, it was a really good success. It taught us a lot. Um, it was definitely one of those things that you know we look at it and we say we're going to do this again. And uh, as of the uh, as of the pandemic, we were planning on having it. It would have been two weeks, two or three weeks ago, I think. So it uh, it was it was full steam ahead, and unfortunately, the uh, just like everybody else and everything else, the Corona stuff sort of threw a monkey wrench in all of that. So, um, you know, it, it was, I, I, I like to think that the first one was, was really one of those labors of love to see if you could actually get something like that off the ground. And I think we proved that it can be done and that it can work. And the community here really embraced it. So for a first time event, you know, we, we had, uh, what was it? 12 countries worth of competitors, wow. uh, Close to, I think we had 35 mounted archers and close to 100 ground archers. Wow. Uh, you know, big, we had bands, we had a couple local Texas bands play. We had the Blackguards come and play, uh, had um, Wine and Alchemy, which is if you've ever been to a TRF, it's been to TRF or Sherwood Forest Fair, they're a very popular uh, folk, folk band, um, kind of a gypsy band. Um, but they're, uh, you know, we had uh, food coming in from. Uh, we were supposed to have some food trucks come in, but that was they, they ended up not happening. So we uh, we had one of the local fair uh, restaurant tours actually cater the entire event for us for our competitors. But overall, it, it worked out really well. We had I think probably close to 500 spectators over three days. Wow, that's good. What? You know, I mean, obviously, y'all are planning to do it again this year. Uh, is there plans to do it again in the future when we can, you know, be near each other again? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're actually planning on doing it. Uh, like, like I say, this year we had to cancel this year. And actually, the the weirdest thing was is is it 
you know, in the early stages of the whole Corona thing, it was more along the lines of we weren't sure where all of this was going to go. But being that we are an international festival and it's not just locals, a lot of other countries started making rules about people coming and going out of, out of their borders. So we were really, you know, we, we, we canceled fairly early on when all this started because a lot of countries like Indonesia was threatening to, to basically shut the borders and say, you know, if you, if you leave, you can't come back in. And we had a bunch of folks from Indonesia that wanted to come. So we realized that a lot of countries that we, you know, we don't know all their internal politics. We don't know everything. So we were like, oh, we got to do something. <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do with this. Yeah. Uh, so that that was that was part of our, our reasoning for doing it, or at least cutting cutting it earlier than probably most other festivals would have. But we're so international dependent. You know, it, it was a necessity. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we're planning on it for next year for sure. Um, same idea, local bands. Um, we're actually talking about maybe bringing in some bands from overseas if possible. Um, and of course, you know, it's, it's primary focus is internationals. So we're, we've always, you know, we have to be kind of mindful of, of the international calendar as it were, cause there's mounted archery events and ground archery events all over the world. So we have to sit with a spreadsheet or a, <laughs> you know, a giant whiteboard and figure out, you know, what, what weekends we can do it. So. Uh, but yeah, that's the plan anyway. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, some some of the past episodes we've talked about, you know, p- basically people building their own community and then then marketing to them, um, and you've kind of done that in in a sense, right? You you were a part of the fair group and then became the other side, right? You were somebody who showed up and paid a ticket price. And now you're somebody that people pay a ticket price to come and buy their stuff from. Um, But now you're almost building this whole other thing. Um, And I don't know if you have a booth there as well, but um, as an organizer, I can't imagine you'd have time or energy for it. Um, But just like building and supporting that community of the thing you love. um, I find that very interesting. Yeah. And that's, that's part of it too, is, you know, we love mounted archery and, and I love history and archery and, and the biggest, I've, I've done where I go to schools and do historical presentations. I've gone to, you know, festivals and other events and things just to, just to talk about a regional difference of archery. Um, it, it's really, I think we all can learn a lot. I think we, we, we all kind of get very centric in our thinking. Mm-hmm. And I think that most people, because our lives are so self-encompassing and, and we are, we're really focused on our little sphere that a lot of times we don't look outside of that. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes you need a gentle push to sort of get that little, oh, that thing's really neat. I've never seen that before. What is that? And then, of course, it opens up questions. And so, you know, you may not buy a bow. You may not start archery. But if you're say, oh, I'm Hungarian. I didn't know this was even a thing. And Hungarian archery is a thing. You know, it, it kind of, I think in a lot of ways I've seen that happen numerous times where people just it's something they hadn't thought about and gives them gives them some some new things to sort of mull over in particular particularly uh, people who are of, of, from different countries or have different backgrounds that that may not have never have explored it you know and they're like they, they they find the neatest the neatest thing is when they they figure out like oh that's where that's where my family's from like i did that you know i can do that too but we've had that happen a lot uh fact a, a gentleman just bought a persian bow because his his background he, he found out is actually persian so he he was all excited about it and you know going off to learn as much as he can online 
and that's that's how it starts that's how it really builds you know and then you got like starts with one or two people and then you got like 30 of them you know and then, <laughs> now you got another group that's starting somewhere else or whether it's ground archery or mounted archery or whatever it um it gets people excited and texas is such a horse place too oh right. my god you know we got more mounted archery chapters in texas than anywhere else really so yeah it's all horse people so, well i mean yeah i know there's a lot of horse people but i didn't realize there was that much mounted archery yeah, uh, I haven't looked at the numbers lately, but I uh, all uh, a bunch of uh, the uh, MA3, which is the Mounted Archery Association of the Americas, a, I would say maybe a third or more of the chapters are here in Texas. Wow. Yeah. Just, cool. you know, big state, a lot of people, a lot of horses, kind of works out. Yeah, but, yeah, I think there's that tradition, though, too. I mean, you know, I grew up, I've seen Central Texas area and you know there's that like that frontier um mm. you know native american you know there's a lot of that culture as well a lot of horse a lot of you know just archery and we like shooting things i think in general um yeah so it, well, it, it doesn't surprise me well that's one thing too that we we that we added in so uh a pair a couple that are friends of ours uh, came with us to Turkey. Uh, he's Apache and she is Cherokee. And they came with us to Turkey uh, and shot with us when we went over for the the uh, Conquest Cup, which is their big yearly competition celebrating the the fall of Constantinople. They have a big archery competition every year for it. Okay. Um, and so our two friends that were Native Americans wanted to come with us. And so when we did the festival. We made sure that as, you know, having an event like this that's international, we made sure to include Native American culture in it, too. So a lot of our internationals that came over were like, oh, my God, this is amazing. We've never actually learned much about, you know, we've heard about Native American culture, but we don't we've never seen it in person. Ah. And we had teepees and, you know, live demonstrations and a lot of things there that, you know, not just it's not just about Eastern archery. It was also about our, our archery culture here in the States, too. And uh, I feel like the, the Native Americans are really uh, underrepresented in a lot of the things that go on. And I think it's really cool that we can, you know, that they are so intrinsically tied to archery that we can, we can have them, you know, have representation for them there for it, too. And it, was, it went over amazingly. I mean, they, 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 the, the, the response to it was, was really incredible. Yeah, that's wonderful. So basically you're advocating archery for world peace. Is that what I'm hearing? You know, it's funny. Uh, the funniest thing is, is when I went to Kyrgyzstan, that 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 sentiment, believe it or not, was was pretty much the thing. Uh, I had a gentleman from Iran actually spoke no English, and I ended up hanging out with him for a while. And you know, he and his buddy were were running around with us, and there was only two guys on the that were shooting archery from Iran. And he actually walked up to me with his cell phone, and he had he had Google Translate or something pulled up, and he had written on it. He's like, he just handed it to me, and he wanted me to read what was on it, and it said. Uh, uh, Iranians don't dislike Americans. Our governments don't get along, but I am not my government. Right. right. And it was just cool. It, it was all the groups that, you know, I think in America we tend to get a little bit insular in terms of what we hear about news-wise. And, you know, culturally we, we tend to be kind of, yay, America, you know, we're the only ones... And uh, we we tend to overlook a lot overseas, and, or think that people are against us, or or you know out to get us, or something else. Uh, but it proved resoundingly untrue. Yeah. Everybody overseas was just 
man, they were fantastic. Every archer I met, it didn't matter what country they were from, everybody got along. Everybody from every country got along. Even even some of the weird, you know, European uh, enmity that exists between countries, the archers got along with each other, even if they were from countries that, like, for thousands of years hadn't got hadn't gotten along at all. Even though they were archers, that's what bound them all together and, and made them get along well. Yeah, you know, I think I think anybody that shares a passion, whether it be photography or archery or whatever, we tend to have a lot in common with other people that have that passion, um, right? The passion speaks to us in some way, and when we're around a group, it all speaks to that group kind of the same way. Um, you know, and my mom always said. <laughs> That sounds very Southern of me. Mom always said um, there are more differences within a group than there are between groups generally. And we get so caught up in, on how groups are different when inside a group, way more differences, right? So, right. you know, you're going to see more squabbling, you know, inside a, a committee to host a games um, than you are between, like, archers and jousters or whatever, right? right? So, um you know, I think it just—I think it's just a good example of like with archery, that's y'all's passion, and you found a bunch of people that also have that passion, right? Of course, you're going to get along because it speaks to you for for various reasons, and you have that common ground. Mm-hmm. And the hardest part of any relationship is finding common ground, and once you have that, everything's pretty easy. Um, I, I was reminded there was a documentary about um, in Palestine and Israel. There was a documentary about like basketball being played, and they had like a a basketball league and they just played and it was just about basketball and nobody really cared where you were from. Um, and you know, I just think we need more of that where don't get so worked up about all the little things and just go out and have fun with people. And it's going to make life a lot easier. Yeah. There was, there was a really great story along that same lines. I mean, if you, you want to talk at, at you know, most extremes uh, during world war one pilots were so rare that, uh, when enemy pilots were shot down and captured the, opposing sides pilots would put them in their tents and basically treat them like honored guests and have them stay with them and you know just took care of them Hmm. and it was a it was it happened numerous times and it was that respect that they had because pilots were so rare and they were a rare breed that uh, they saw more commonality with other pilots even if they were from opposing nations than they did with some of their own people. Right. So, you know, that was it, it was that's one that's always stuck with me and that's when I when I was over there that's what it reminded me of. You know, it didn't matter if there was a war going on, didn't matter if anything else was going on. We're here to shoot and have fun and we don't care about the rest of that. Yeah. You know? I think with most with most European people, the countries don't matter so much. Just don't make fun of their soccer team. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's the quickest way to a bar fight pretty much anywhere outside the U.S. <laughs> the, the, the U.S. equivalent would be your college football team, right? That's the most, uh-huh. most passionate, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, people get along, get along, get along, and it's like, what, you're a Longhorn, you're an Aggie? Uh, break bottles on the bar stool, get ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> See, and you already messed up because you called it soccer. So you go anywhere else in the world, you yeah. can't call it soccer. <laughs> I know, I know. I actually, I actually watch a lot of football um Mm. yeah i love watching uh premier league and bundesliga uh so yeah i'm a i'm a little bit of a bilingual i guess i like both footballs Mm. yeah well rob hey i just want to say um this was really interesting conversation i'm glad all of the avenues that this walked down um i did not think we would end up talking about world war one pilots 
um, <laughs> when we started talking archery. But um, is there anything else uh, you want to add um, or, or shout out or anything like that? Uh, well, you know, uh, we're, we're always working on new stuff. Uh, one of the things I'm working on now is I'm, I got in a big bunch of uh, original pieces that I'm actually doing some Instagram and video stories about right now. It's really fascinating for anybody that likes history. Uh, that's going to be every Sunday. I'm going to be doing a little, little show of all my, some of the new stuff that I've been getting. Uh, so if you get a chance, check me out on YouTube. Um, uh, that's the, the flying hun, all one word. And then, uh, keep it up with our Instagram and Facebook. And that's pretty much the biggest things. And that's, you know, always either the underscore flying underscore hun or the flying hun, I think pretty much on every platform. Um, that's the biggest thing is we're always doing something new and bringing something else out and trying to figure out something else to, to, to hook people with and keep everybody interested. So that's all we can do. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for sharing and spending some time with us today. Um, this has been episode five of the make, make, make podcast. I'm Josh Baker. And with us today was Rob Morton. So great. Yay. Thanks everybody. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. All right. You bet. <laughs>